Good morning, sir. Good morning, how are you? Doing all right. Uh, I haven't had a chance to say it in person. Happy anniversary. Thank you. I appreciate it. What'd you get? Anything good? Uh, absolutely nothing. It's, good. it's all good. I was a touch late only because I had to wait 10 minutes for a Green Line train uh, during rush hour. Who can I uh, talk to about that? <laughs> From WAMU 88.5, this is Metropocalypse. It's a cold morning outside Metro headquarters, and the man tasked with saving the nation's second busiest subway is heading out to walk one block to the Chinatown Gallery Place station to take a train to a meeting. A tumultuous year is drawing to a close, and next year promises more, even historic change. This week, the Metro board decides whether the system should shut down every day before midnight once Safe Track ends. A little later in the podcast, we'll put that decision in national context. But first, let's take a ride with Metro's general manager, Paul Wiedefeld. So, Mr. Wiedefeld, I've, I've spoken to you probably more than any other public official in the past year. And how's this last year changed you? I don't know. It's been an exciting year. It's been one of the most challenging years I've ever had in my career. It's been... Learning, it's, it's almost in some ways like learning a new language, you know, in a good way, you know, new experiences and some, some things. As so far as what, learning how a railroad just, operates? I mean, yeah, I mean, just some of the, the, you know, the details that I've had to get into on power and track that, you know, I'm not a, that's not what I am, I'm not, I'm not a track engineer. But you got new people in helping you with that. Yeah, yeah. That, new leaders. And then just, um, it, it's just been, it's been good to understand that so I can, Obviously, ask better questions, but I can communicate, hopefully, you know, to you and the public about some of the things we're dealing with. Did anything prepare you for the amount of public face time and public speaking you've had to do? Not really, and it's not something that I'm particularly good at or something that I seek, but the reality is this job and just some of the, obviously, the focus on it and the importance of it, I think has driven some of that. How do you know if you're getting through? Um, public can be cynical. I don't know if you've checked Twitter out lately. <laughs> I know that you said you weren't going to have an account. I think you made the right move there. <laughs> you know, as, as I've said before, it's, you know, it's like Dusty Baker. He can't get up every morning worrying about, you know, someone, you know, second-guessing every decision he made during the ball game. He's got to make the decisions. He's got to do what he thinks is best. And uh, that's what he does. And that's the same sort of attitude we're taking. you got to close your umbrella here and head on down the escalators with me. And I do have enough money on my smart trip, so we don't have to... That's good. We, we need the revenue. So has this taken over your life? I mean, it, covering Metro takes up an enormous amount of my time, even my free time, I'm thinking about it. It's 24-7, <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, so I, my family and, and friends, have tr they try not to uh, bring it up, <laughs> you know, to give me a break. But otherwise, it's always in the back of my mind. And obviously, through the night... When I do some of my, my best thinking, you know, waking up in the middle of the night with some ideas and... Like what? Rest, just wrestling through different, you know, aspects of, you know, the whole, the whole business. Things that I want to follow up on, things that I'm not comfortable with, things that I'm thinking, oh, we can do better there. Those types of things, you know, like you normally do, I think. I, I think about Metro before panic, I go to bed and I think about Metro I when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> Mostly about how I, can, how I can dig into what you're doing. Let's get through here. So did the, did the back to good marketing slogan, did that come to you in the middle of the night? Uh, no, no. Actually, I didn't think our, so. You know, we had a number of people working that. And it was, it's not so much the slogan isn't the real issue. The issue is basically the customers, they get it. They know what's going on. And they don't want to be told that, 
you know, everything's fine, everything's perfect, you know? And I think so just being realistic with them, upfront with them about it, and we're not going to turn this thing, it's not going to be 1976, that's not where we're going to be. Well, I noticed it's not back to great, it's back yeah, to good. That's right. I mean, I think this is a tremendous asset for the, for the community, for the region, for the riders. It really is. I mean, you know, try taking a car somewhere, you know. And, and I know, so for instance, now, right now we're waiting a few minutes for a train. You know, hi, sir, how you been? Um, you know, you can catch a light at New York and Florida and sit there for, for three minutes, right? You know, and, and we just sort of, you know, that sort of, we take that all in stride. Um, so I, I just think this is a, a fantastic system, definitely has some issues, definitely have to work on it to get it back to, to a level that we want. But by and large, it does a very good job. So you said before that public speaking is not something that you're necessarily very good at. And Have you worked on that? Has anyone sought, sought you out to help you? No, I have a lot of people that, that give me advice, put it that way. You are good at not saying much when you're being quizzed by reporters like myself about I controversial things. I don't, I uh, know. I try to be as, what I always try to be is as open as I possibly can be. If I can't share something with you, I can't share it with you, and that's for other reasons. That's nothing to do with me trying to hide something. Um, but you know, there are certain things that, particularly if we have an incident or a situation that we're investigating, you know, I don't think it's fair to um, the people that we're, or the issues we're looking into, to start to, to basically come out you know, half-cocked. I just don't think that's fair for anybody. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt when it comes to police investigations, contract negotiations, but what I've noticed that you have stayed clear of getting into any political stuff publicly, at least publicly. I, mean, I don't know what you're saying behind closed doors with Jack Evans or members of Congress, right. and you, you've stayed out of that. Yeah, I mean, that's not my job. You know, I mean, the, you know, there's the, uh, the boards is, represents the executives of the local jurisdictions, the state, local jurisdictions, and the federal government in this case as well. And, you know, that's who they answer to. They answer to them. Uh, I answer to the board. And then, uh, you know, the board, is, the board is the board that I have. So that's, you know, that's just the reality. Um, so that's, you know, my focus, again, has to be on the operations, on the customers. And those issues, I think, have to play at a different level. How long do you want to do this for? Um, as long as I possibly can. I've got, um, I have a third child in, in college, so you can just do the math. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you've done well over here. No, professional I mean, but it's, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's, I'm just joking with yeah. the financial part. It's, it's really the love of it. I mean, it's, you know, you don't do this type of work unless it gets you, you know, unless you, it moves you. And uh, for me, it does. It's just like you don't do your work. You don't do the type of stuff you do unless you really enjoy it. So that's what drives it. If, if I don't enjoy it, then that would be the time to leave, um, or, you know, when it's my call. Uh, but, um, you know, I see nothing uh, that would change that uh, in the near future. It doesn't sound like you just want to do this for two years and get out of here. No, no. I mean, there's... Um, you know, I'm not, I, to be frank, I don't need to build my resume. You know, I, I have, uh, I'm very fortunate. I've been blessed in lots of ways. So I have lots of options. So that's not the issue for me. It's really about what can I do here uh, to domestic my build as long as I can. When Metropocalypse continues, Metro is facing a staggering array of problems. Which ones keep the GM up at night and what newspaper puts him to sleep? That's next. Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico 
and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. What have you learned by riding the system? I know you're not on the system for your commute all that long, but you're on, when we're on the train right now, you're going to a meeting. What have you learned? No, I use the system all the time. The vast majority of the time, it works well. Uh, I've had situations where, it, where I've been offloaded a few times. Oh, you have? Yeah. For, I've had a, a medical ones, and those are, you know, those are very intense, as you can imagine, particularly if you're on the car, that something is occurring. Um, I've had situations where I felt uncomfortable, you know, late at night, you know, I think that's understandable. You're what do you mean by uncomfortable? You're in, a, you're in a closed tube, in a closed environment, and if someone gets on and they've either had too much to drink or they're, you know, they have a, um, whatever issues going on in their lives, um, you know, I get it. It's not, you know, the cocoon of your private car, it's not that. It's not what public transit is. Um, so I've experienced all that, but the vast majority of times, is basically I just get to back and forth where I'm going. Usually what I'm doing is checking my my uh, emails in between as I pull up the stations. And we're all good good for you if you can get a get signal that. down here. That's right. Do you pay attention to the media coverage? Not that much. Um, it's, it's, I mean, clearly I'm alerted to things, you know, that's going on, but I just can't be um, reacting to... So you don't read the post, you don't listen to the no, radio? I, the I mean, I read the post. Um, but as far as the Metro coverage in the post? Yeah, I, I, it, but don't tell anybody this, but uh, <laughs> I read the post to, to put me to sleep at night. I read the post. It's my, the last <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. It's sort of my, you know, ritual stuff to talk to. But no, they have obviously some, some great reporters and great stories that I read. It's so it's pleasure reading before you nod off. That's right. I, I've always been a, a newspaper junkie. Have you seen a story that pissed you off? I'm sorry? A news story. Have you seen something published about the agency or you that you thought that was just wrong? I mean, you know... Um, a lot of the coverage is negative. I think a lot of it is accurately negative. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, the, you're, you know you're in the media business. <laughs> you, know, you, you have a job to do, um, and you have a, a business model that you have to meet. And that's just the reality of it, so it, it doesn't bother me, you know. I recently chatted with Mort Downey, the former chair of the board. He hired you. He said the reason he didn't tell you how bad things were was he didn't know how bad things were. At a news conference recently, I asked you if you were misled, deliberately or unintentionally. You said no. So what should we make of this situation? Again, I think it's um, years in the making, and I think... His, probably his comments reflect a lot of what I've seen is the organization just wasn't moving in all cylinders. And maybe on it, incapable of measuring itself, incapable of gauging where it is in all these different categories. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's right. That's, that's, a, that's a concern, you know, is like, you know, is the information you have, is it accurate? Was it built up correctly? I think I know that with some of the people we brought in, you know, that's where we're getting to. You know, they're continue to to dig into things and we have fresh eyes and different perspectives, different experiences come to the table. So what are, what are the obstacles most concerning to you? you know, you're fixing the tracks, you're going to fix the rail cars, all that's doable. There seem to be other things though that are a little bit more intractable. 
the financial part is extremely difficult, um, both in terms of operating and capital long term. Um, nothing unique, you know, to this system. You know, if you looked at the the, uh, the election this cycle, there were literally dozens upon dozens of referendums around the country to deal with transit issues. Um, someone, in effect, around financing, uh, operating capital. You know, as I've said before, it's a, it's a labor-intensive industry. It's an energy-intensive industry. And then the capital, you know, the capital investments are very intense, <laughs> um, and they and then they need to be replaced. So all those things drive, you know, quite the uh, appetite for the finances of a transit system around the country, around the around the world. Is that your way of saying we need a regional sales tax? Uh, no, I think it's a way of saying that we have to manage within our budget. We have to be very we have to be very wise in how we spend every dollar um, first. Um, but then at times we have to basically look at do we have enough dollars to do everything that people want us to do. I wanted to see if I could learn things about you that I hadn't discussed before. So how often do people recognize you? So far no one has approached us on the train. That's a good thing. <laughs> Would you prefer it that way? Uh, no, I, um, generally people, people do. Um, Either, they'll either nod or people come up and, and say, I'm glad to see you in the system, that, that they appreciate that, you know, that I experience what they're experiencing. So I hear that quite a bit. Um, I generally hear, keep up the good work. We're, you know, you're doing what needs to be done, should have been done years ago, that type of thing. Um, you still feel like you have the public on, on your side here? Um, I don't know so much on, on my side, but I think they do understand where we are. I think they do appreciate that we're being very clear and just open with them about the issues. You know, like I said the other day, we're not bone smoke. You know, that's not what we're, what we're going to do. It may not be a lot of what they want to hear right now, but I think until we have that honest discussion, until we take these things head on, we're not going to change. We're not going to move the needle, so we got to do that. Paul Wiedefeld, General Manager of Metro. You heard him mention the state and local ballot measures around the country that were approved by voters in November. They'll pump billions of dollars into transit systems. But not here. When we continue, we'll get national, even international perspective on Metro's challenges. The London Underground just expanded service, so it runs 24-7. Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Seattle voters just said yes to billions in new funding to expand their transit systems. The Washington region? Well, in all likelihood, we are scaling back. And there's no hope for a dedicated funding stream, at least not this year. Is that a world-class city or a world-class rail system? I'm Stephen Higashide. I'm a senior program analyst at Transit Center. Higashide keeps tabs on measures to increase mobility in cities around the world, and it turns out that we're on the wrong side of the ledger right now. Well, certainly in the U.S., you've seen a climate of transit expansion, actually. Uh, in a lot of the major cities on the West Coast, they're building large expansions of the transit network. Los Angeles and Seattle just voted to build new rail. In San Francisco, they had a major expansion of bus hours. On the other hand, you know, D.C. is not the only place that is really confronting a crisis of maintenance. Boston, uh, very famously, also is confronting state of good repair issues. So it is a, a mixed picture. Boston is cutting back on hours or already has, right? That's right. 
And in other places you mentioned, they're expanding hours, expanding the system. Here, Metro is kind of doing both. It's adding the Silver Line extension to Dallas Airport, but it could be cutting back on the hours it operates. Internationally, there have been some headline-making stories recently, right? That's right. Uh, London has expanded uh, tube service to cover late-night hours, and that's really, I think, sends a strong signal that you're a top-tier city. The worry in D.C. that you know, cutting back hours sends the opposite signal. A big city system like you have in D.C. thrives when people are willing to use it for many types of trip, not just the commute, but for social activities, shopping, going to the doctor, visiting family. Uh, and let's be clear, this is a really uh, sharp reduction in service. It's historic because Metro had been running 3 a.m. trains on the weekends for quite a while, and it remains to be seen when it will ever, if ever, go back to that, at least in the near future. You made a great point. Our image as a world-class city. Can Washington be a so-called world-class city with a subway system that closes at midnight or even 11.30 p.m. during the week? Well, look, Metro Rail is still the second most used heavy rail system in the U.S., But this proposal gives it some of the shortest operating hours of any big city rail system, less than Chicago, less than Boston. And the impact is going to be disproportionately on low-income workers. You know, I have immense respect for what Paul Wiedefeld has been doing, both to confront the crisis of infrastructure and the crisis in the management culture at WMATA. But we just have to be clear about what D.C. residents are losing in this proposal. To one of your earlier points, Stephen, it really comes down to what kind of system will Metro be for the foreseeable future? A commuter rail system that brings people in from long distances in the suburbs or a hybrid, which it really has been now for some time, where it's an urban subway system that does a lot of short trips. Well, I think it's moving back toward the commuter rail system. It's hard to be both, right? And, you know, as you put it, a hybrid system is really what you need to support vibrant urban living. And it's also what you need to support an economy that's more than nine to five. And, you know, to be fair, this may be what the system needs to get the maintenance done. But let's be clear that D.C. residents are losing a lot. It is a situation where the public needs to keep demanding progress reports and transparency. I think it was encouraging to see that after this huge public outcry against the reductions in service hours, the management at WMATA became much more transparent about just how bad some of the maintenance needs are. And that transparency needs to continue. Well, in your city of New York, my hometown, you have the New York City subway system that accomplishes the short trips in an urban setting. But then you have LIRR, Metro North, New Jersey Transit, that does the commuter rail. So you have multiple systems. Metro's trying to do all of that within one system. Right. And I think you see some of that tension in the governance structure of Metro. One of the longtime problems at Metro, as many people are aware, is that there's not clear accountability because of the muddled sort of board structure. At least in New York, it's clear that the governor is in charge, uh, which is also the case in Massachusetts. They have a very troubled system there, but it's clear that the state has a responsibility for fixing that. And so you're seeing um, more proactive leadership from the state. We talk so much about Metro Rail. Metro does something like 400,000 bus trips a day. Bus ridership is down, isn't it? Not only here in D.C., but this is an issue in a lot of cities, right? Yes, that's correct. We've seen declining bus ridership in New York, 
declining bus ridership in Chicago. Uh, We've really seen it in many of the major metro areas uh, over the last several years. What's driving it? You know, I think it's a combination of factors as to what's driving it. But I think the bigger question for cities is, what are they doing to address it? Um, There have been some encouraging examples in San Francisco, in Houston, uh, where cities and transit agencies have worked together to try to really proactively address uh, the decline in bus ridership, really try to improve bus service and make it a first-class mode. And they've seen some real success there. And I don't know that that's been happening in D.C. Washington, D.C. has very few dedicated bus lanes. Uh, They're working on it, Uh, the region that is. We have Alexandria has some uh, transit way that has a dedicated lane. Washington, D.C., the city itself is, is studying them. But certainly no one is championing bus service Uh, Even Metro itself, uh, the bus system that it's going to use, or I should say the bus service it's going to use to substitute for some of the lost rail trips is really not that robust for the overnight hours that are coming up. Right. I would would agree with that. Uh, I I think that people should be asking whether the late night bus service is enough. From what I've seen, the proposal looks like they're taking away the whole loaf when it comes to late night rail service and providing a quarter loaf of bus service. And, you know, this is about safety and the state of good repair. You don't want it to appear to be a cost-cutting move, you know, which is falling on the back of uh, businesses and workers. In terms of overall political energy dedicated to buses, you know, we have to remember that the district used to have 60 miles of bus lanes in the 1970s. And even two years ago, the district released a plan calling for 25 miles of bus lanes. But, you know, what's actually happened since then, you know, four blocks of bus lanes on Georgia Avenue, a promise that, you know, maybe there'll be a bus lane on 16th Street in two to four years. That's slow progress. Right. If we can call it progress. Stephen Higashide with Transit Center, a research foundation in urban mobility in New York City. Stephen, let's wrap up with really what this all comes down to. We can't undo the past. Metro is where it is because of past decisions and past neglect. But it's still faced with having to make some really difficult trade-offs here that it and other transit systems would rather not make. And that is either fix what's been broken for a long time, or give people what they want. And all your research has shown that what transit riders really want is robust service and timely service. But it it just appears that some transit agencies can't do that right now. Well, what we'd hope to see in D.C. is that, you know, because there's this need to repair the rail, let's put a lot of political energy to speeding up buses at scale, not doing one project here or there, but working on multiple bus priority projects simultaneously. And safe track is often uh, portrayed as a repair surge. Maybe what the district needs is a surge of personnel working specifically on bus projects. Stephen Higashide, Senior Analyst with Transit Center. Thanks to him and General Manager Paul Wiedefeld for joining us on the podcast this week. And as we said, this Thursday could be a historic day at Metro as its board is scheduled to decide the future of late-night service and supplemental buses, at least for the next two years. Metropocalypse is produced and edited by Brendan Sweeney. Our editorial director is Alicia Montgomery. Andy McDaniel is WAMU's Director of Content. All the music on this episode came from WAMU's Capital Soundtrack Project. You heard tracks by Jason Mullinax, Dunk, and Chop Teeth. 
More information available at wamu.org slash music. Until next time, I'm Martin DeCaro.